papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis, even on days in the Northeast when the weather precludes us from getting to the studio. And we're in different spots today, but we are here to bring you some commentary on what's going on in the media. I'm Rex Smith, the former editor of the Times Union, now at the Upstate American, with Rosemary Armeo, veteran investigative journalist and professor, Ira Fussfeld, the longtime former publisher of the Kingston Daily Freeman, and Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. And you all are okay? Let's hear, hear, hear. Hear, hear, hear. I went out into the snow early in Great Barrington, and it was very interesting. The weather outside was, well, frightful. Well, I was uh, I was looking forward to being in the studio because it's easier to argue with Alan in person than it is on the phone. But we'll muddle through. <laughs> We'll try to cut him off when we can. Mm-hmm. All due respect, Dr. Sartak. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. So listen, I think we need to deal with the big issue, which is, I would say, the biggest media scandal of my lifetime. I really think it is. The fact that we have newly disclosed messages that revealed in the lawsuit filed by Dominion Voting Systems reveals that the biggest stars on Fox and the senior executives there privately expressed disbelief about the false claims about the 2020 election. They knew that it was crazy, yet they continued to present it to their viewers, and the memos that have been revealed, the internal communications, make it clear that Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson and the Fox executives were only presenting that, all the way up to Rupert Murdoch, only presenting it in order to try to keep their intense right-wing viewers, that they didn't want to lose their audience by telling them the truth. I guess we've known about this. It's just that this is revealed. That is, we here in this group have known about this. But pushing content that you know is false, is there anything bigger than that? Dr. Shartok, you want to lead us off on this? Well, there is nothing that is really worse than lying to the people who are supposed to be listening to you. And I think that's what you're indicating here, Rex. And we know that when that happens, you bring a sense of, well, discredibility to the entire business of journalism. Yeah. Yeah, Well, that's exactly right. I I have to tell you, you know, in The Godfather, there's a line near the end when Tessio is revealed to be the betrayer, and he says, tell Michael it's only business, nothing personal. And this is only business. But I tell you, I take this personally. I was in the newspaper business almost 50 years, and there was nothing else that motivated those of us who did good journalism. It was to tell the truth. And the fact that these guys were not telling the truth not only for the reasons that they're not telling the truth, the impact was on all of us in journalism, all of us in democracy. There are millions of people who follow these Fox people who don't believe what is being reported accurately elsewhere. And it's just done tremendous damage to the journalism business and to the country, in my view. And where are we going to see that damage specifically, Ira? 
Well, we already see it. We see it in the fact that the New York Times, for example, might report a story that Tucker Carlson can then point to and say, oh, nobody believes this, and he's got millions of followers who don't believe it. So where's the truth come out? I think you're not overstating it, Rex. I guess I would put the Jason Blair scandal and the Judith Smith horrible reporting that got us into a war in Iraq as among the worst media scandals of my lifetime, but it certainly is right up there. It's incredibly cynical. It confirms the views, the anti-press views of many people that this is how we all operate. And for the first time in my life, I am rooting for Dominion voting systems to win. I hope they get every cent of the $1.6 that they're seeking from Murdoch and from Fox. It seems to me that these messages constitute a textbook definition of reckless disregard for the truth, which under the existing libel laws allows for a press organization to be found in violation of the law despite the First Amendment. I love the irony that Fox supports a loosening of the libel laws because that will only hurt them worse. I think under the existing libel law, they are extremely vulnerable right now. I'm shocked that they have not sought a settlement. Ah, that they would then have to uh, concede to misbehavior, though I don't know that their is this viewers worse? would hold them to account. Yeah, Did I mean, matter? is, this, is yeah. this worse, Rex? Those letters are just outrageous and shocking even internally. Uh, Jackie Henrick, the reporter who tried to fact-check uh, in a Twitter, not on air, but in a Twitter, some of Trump's big lie stuff, she did not know that her colleagues were calling for her to be fired because she was endangering the brand. It's just hard to describe what a betrayal this is to journalism. By reporting the truth, Correct. of course. This is what's so yeah. stunning. And so you know? what should be done, Rosemary, to the betrayer? I mean, is there a way in which the industry and those of us who are involved in it can well, deal with it? The real punishment will come, I hope, at the hands of a judge who will rule in favor of Dominion voting. As for the rest of us, we continue to call them out. I'm sorry, John Oliver probably does it the best. The comedy shows do, but the rest of us can too. This story itself has become huge, and we need to continue playing it. And the other thing, I assume this is a story we'll also talk about later in this program, but um, we need to be continually protesting and doing more, whatever can be done. I, I'm so infuriated by it, I have not come up with a plan, but Tucker Carlson, the guy who we now know will say anything just to keep voters, now has 41,000 hours of the January 6th tapes exclusively. I think that's one of the key points here, that the right wing continues to reward this behavior, that the Fox News Channel is paying no penalty with those in power because the lie helped the right wing by lying to support the people who gave us the January 6th insurrection and by lying to support the claims of fake news. They're actually substantially helping sustain their market and helping, therefore, the right wing people, Kevin McCarthy, who gave those 41,000 hours of videotape exclusively to Tucker Carlson, which I would think is something of a security risk. And besides, if he's going to give it to Tucker Carlson and give it to everybody. But there is no penalty to be paid unless it is, as you say, Rosemary, in the billions of dollars which I guess is the language that Rupert Murdoch understands. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to tell you, I agree with Tucker Carlson that that tape, all those tapes, should be in the public domain. I'm a little bit angry that the sure. January 6th committee bent over backwards before it released it. It had those tapes, and everything they released, you remember big snippets of it played during their hearings, but every one of those was aired first with the Capitol Police to make sure no you know, security violations. 
the hell with that. The Capitol Police got tons of money from the government to upgrade after January 6th, spend it on putting in new cameras, changing locations, changing hideaways, and put those tapes out. If Tucker Carlson were looking at them along with MSNBC and ABC and CNN, I would feel fine about it. It's the fact that he will be the sole arbiter of what pieces and that's like, what, 41,000 hours is like 1,700 days? That's a ton of information, and they will cherry-pick it and put out only what they want, and nobody else will be able to counter it. It's maddening. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're going to vet it and edit it, and what the result will be, they will show the benign portion of January 6th, not the part that it demeans and diminishes what was going on there. Did any of you see Stephen Since Colbert we this week, who did a version of the Tucker Carlson reinterpretation of January 6th? It's hilarious. It's like, Q, it stands for quite fun. Look, here's a good Samaritan. He was throwing a shield through a window, putting up a shield to protect a broken glass. And it went on and on. And of course, it was exactly in comedy, but it just shows the extent of the damage that Carlson can do with this information that we paid for as taxpayers that represents what we saw and know, and now it's in the hands of a propagandist, a racist propagandist. But since this topic is not high on the agenda for voters, public opinion polling shows that Americans really don't care about the January 6th insurrection. This outrage is not going to really make much of a difference in terms of either the audience for Fox News or in terms of the public response to the right-wing conspiracy nuts or those who fomented the insurrection of January the 6th. In fact, there are those in the conservative ranks who say that McCarthy has done something dumb politically by keeping January 6th alive, by giving this to Tucker Carlson. They should just sweep it under the rug and be done with it and move on because most of the American public has. that This is still keeping it going. I think that the theory that he's operating under is that the Democrats will try to keep January 6th alive as an issue, which seems valid to me. So he's giving this to Tucker Carlson so that there will be a right-wing response that will delegitimize January 6th as an issue when it is raised by the Democrats. You so give him far more credit than I do. Uh, no one ever accused Kevin McCarthy <laughs> of being politically astute. I think he made a deal that in order to be speaker, he had to give this stuff to Fox. And I don't think he's considering at all about keeping the issue alive. I think he's going tit-for-tat revenge. Yeah. This is really not part of the media project, but if McCarthy can release these tapes to Tucker Carlson, why can't Chuck Schumer release tapes to whoever he wants to release? Why does McCarthy have sole possession of these tapes? That's an excellent question. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I don't know that another network would welcome that kind of an exclusive dump because it suggests uh, that you're conspiring with the politicians. Uh, you need to have the independence of saying, well, I don't, I, I'm not going to be the one who's going to make these decisions. You need to make this available to everybody. So if Chuck Schumer were to do that, say, to CNN, it would identify CNN as being the preferred outlet for Chuck Schumer. So probably he could release them to everybody. He could say, here it is, I'm yeah. giving it to the public. He doesn't have to release them just to CNN. Well, we will move on uh, just because we have so many great topics to talk about here that need some attention. One, for example, is the recent hearings in the Supreme Court last week on Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act, which basically, in 26 words, gives digital platforms the freedom from being liable for anything that they may publish. And that has been used 
to basically affirm that these digital platforms can do whatever they want to and use the content that other publishers have. So it seems as though, however, that the justices are not interested in reforming Section 230 because it is, as they say, kind of beyond their ken. They're judges. They don't know about what to do with this. Do we have any sense, therefore, that this Supreme Court review will make any difference in the world of the media? Seems not. Right. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't think that those of us who would describe ourselves as mainstream journalists are rooting for the Supreme Court to do anything here. Right. As much of a problem that there is out there with these platforms being responsible or not responsible for what appears on their sites, I just think this opens a door that I don't want to see open. I do think that there's still an issue that's important and needs to be addressed, but I'm not sure the Supreme Court getting involved with it is the way I'd want to see it go. So what's the worst thing that could come out of that, Myra? Well, I don't know it's the worst thing, but if they rule that the platforms are responsible for all the content, even the content that they don't create, that has implications on all of us who have old-fashioned platforms and new platforms. I don't want the courts involved with this. These are decisions that should be made by journalists. What it would do, I think, is to really upend the way the Internet works, because whoever operates a website would have to constantly monitor millions upon millions of posts and basically read every word before they let users post a single word. That's just not feasible. But there needs to be something done about hateful and dangerous and untrue content. And what we've always relied upon was kind of the goodwill, the ethical standards that Rosemary was alluding to of publishers, which do not exist on the Internet. So it's a difficult thing, but I think you have a point that having the nine justices of the Supreme Court make this decision is not tenable. Yeah, Justice Kagan said it best. These nine people are not the most astute Internet experts in the country. Those do exist, and maybe they should be put to work on this, and you look at this in the future. But the Supreme Court has never before let lack of expertise, this Supreme Court, stand in the way of horrible decisions. They know nothing about women or being black under the police regimes in this country, and yet they've made horrible rulings. So the less done by this Supreme Court on anything involving free press, I'm in favor of. Just to be clear for the listeners, if a newspaper prints a letter to the editor that has libel in it, it's actionable against the newspaper, but the newspaper has the advantage prior to publication of reviewing the letter and making a determination, whereas the speed of the Internet is different. And I think it is a, an issue that needs to be addressed, but I'm not sure I know what the I know I'm, I don't have the answer to that right now. And when you were editing that, your paper, Ira, did you assess every single letter, for example, that had been written to the editor? Yes. Absolutely. All newspapers do. You know, we would get a complaint if we didn't print a letter sometime. The guy would call up and say, why didn't you print my letter? I have a right to say what I said. And we would say to them, yes, you have a right to say what you said, but you don't have a right for it to be in our newspaper because we could be sued. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is this case exists is that if somebody posts something on the internet, is the owner of the internet responsible if the post is up and running before it has had a chance to be reviewed? And as Rex points out, if you wait to review it, there's millions of other comments that are going to be reviewed at the same time, and thus it's not going to be instantaneous, which gives the internet some of its appeal. 
content moderation online is something that people in general are in favor of inside and outside of the media, but how to affect it is the big problem. There's a huge volume of messaging online. Unlike anything, any newspaper, even the biggest newspapers in the world see nothing like it. On the other hand, there's very little human checking, monitoring of this content, which has caused global problems much bigger than libel. We're talking about genocide in Burma may have been set off by stuff on Facebook that was not moderated. So we see increased reliance now on AI and algorithms to look at content and weed out stuff that's complete disinformation. If there were a law, if the Supreme Court made them responsible and repealed 230, you would see a shutdown of information because there would be no other way to do it at this particular time. Technology may improve that, better hiring, using more editors could all help. But at this particular time, if 230 made them liable, you would just see a shutdown of complete whole sets of topics, I think. And I think you allude to something that's correct, Rosemary, when you say that technology may make a difference. As artificial intelligence improves, we may have the capacity to instantaneously make some judgments like right. this. Maybe there will be a way then to hold publishers liable by using artificial intelligence right now that doesn't exist. We can't do that because we, we just don't have enough moderators. It would, in effect, shut down the Internet. But that said, the responsibility of publishers is so important. I made allusion to a point of, of we do check every letter to the editor. It's not only that. I think people don't realize that publishers, or actually the editors who work for the publishers, make decisions all the time to not publish stuff that could be libelous, that could be defamatory. We even don't have in the past made decisions not to publish something that a politician says, that a public official says in a public forum. If we think that that is defamatory and that it could be the news organization could be held liable for something that a politician says. So this is <laughs> this is important it, to understand moot. that there's it's, a level of responsibility. It's all moot, though. Yes, we all know newspapers had it right. They got it correct, but they're dead. And to transfer the ethics of newspapers to the Internet is something we have not been able to complete yet. And the fact that the Supreme Court might be doing that retrofitting is horrifying to me. It should be done by journalists, by the yeah. business. Rosemary, by the way, said something interesting about the Supreme Court justices don't know anything about women. Speaking of not knowing anything about women, Rosemary, you get first crack at this. Don oh Lemon of wow. CNN. I'm sorry, though, maybe I shouldn't ask you because uh, you're past your prime. Oh, I know, way, way past my prime, <laughs> according to that little twit. I have never taken him seriously. He has just always seemed such a lightweight to me. He is more gaff-prone than Joe Biden ever was, and yet he continues to be sort of favored, at least, by CNN. And I wish he had been fired instead of Brian Seltzer, who is, he has his problems too, but he was a serious journalist. I've never seen Don Lemon do that. He's always been in it for himself. And he's paired with Poppy Harlow and Caitlin Collins on a new morning show that's doing terribly, which I'm happy to see that. I'm not the only one, apparently, who thinks he's a twit. But both of those women are far more talented, although less experienced. They're being punished to be paired with him. And, you know, I don't blame him for saying that. In passing, that's a remark like, oh, you know, she's past her prime and here she is talking about older politicians. That's pretty rich. If he had said something like that and then when Caitlin Collins calls him to account goes, yeah, you're right. No, it's not what I meant. I would say, okay, fine. But he didn't. He doubled down on it. He tweeted about it later. Yeah. He really believes this. 
misogynistic, outdated stuff. And it wasn't isolated. He has made other comments about women, and his behavior towards his two co-hosts has been abhorrent. He has yelled at them in public in front of other people. He has treated them like lesser beings, which you do not do in a newsroom. The glory of newsrooms is that experience and inexperience are together. They feed off of each other. Don Lemon is none of that. He is just an arrogant narcissist. And he's toxic in the workplace. So I hope this training they're giving him will teach him to change. I am highly doubtful. We'll wait and see. I don't think he should have been fired for this, but I don't think he's been punished enough. It is interesting, this concept of training that we are being assured is going on. Do you have any insights into that, Rosemary? No, I assumed uh, when I read the stories that it was sexual, you know, the standard sexual harassment training that many of us have received and not creating a toxic workplace. But has he not gotten this before? And does it make a difference when you're a star, he's internationally known, it makes millions? He's got the Trump syndrome. I can do anything I want because I'm a celebrity. I don't think you train that out of somebody. Well, it just startles me that somebody who is a professional broadcaster would say something as stupid as that. I mean, I I don't know about you folks. Alan is the full-time broadcaster, but the rest of us, we go on, and I don't know about you, but I'm always very careful about what I say, and and I'm always afraid I'm going to make a mistake because I'm relatively inexperienced at it. Where is this guy's experience and training not kicking in that he would say something so stupid? You know, people on broadcast, and I include myself in this, it's not like writing where you look at it and you go, oh, my God, what have I put here? You're, you're speaking off the cuff. Whoopi Goldberg got into trouble when she talked about how, oh, Hitler wasn't a racist. He was going after a religion. And it was stupid. It was incorrect. But she said it in the moment. And she was immediately corrected by other panelists on The View. And that should have been the end of it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I I misspoke. I see what you're talking about. That would have been the end of it. It would have been a conversation, which is what broadcast should sound like. The problem was both Whoopi Goldberg, eventually she apologized. I think her apology was more sincere than Lemon's. The problem was they stuck by it, like they were right and, and they were making a valid point. And I don't think you can do that in this day and age. You gotta say, oh, wow, I really, I, I wanna reel that back. People forgive you if you do it right away. So let's turn from uh, an individual malfeasance, let's say, to what is a, a critique of a very big way in which the media is biased in this country. There's an organization called uh, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, which uh, gives critique of the media from the left, really, from a progressive standpoint. They've done an analysis of the big three papers, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, of how they cover weapons. And the fact is, it's a very interesting critique uh, that I was intrigued to read, noting how often these three talk about the fact that Iran is supplying Russia with the weapons it's using in Ukraine, but neglecting to report about how the United States supplies weapons for Israel that Israel uses to kill civilians in the Palestinian territories. It is, in effect, a double standard, is this argument, that Iranian weapons are far more newsworthy than weapons made in the United States. Is there an implicit bias in America that doesn't look, or in the media in general, that looks differently at domestic issues like this than it would at foreign? Are we, in effect, backing the United States government in this kind of a way, as opposed to being the independent arbiters? Professor Shartok, you are, Uh-oh. by training, a political scientist. Uh-oh. <laughs> Do you think that the media implicitly supports the American 
politicians in this way by not calling them out the way they do foreign politicians. Absolutely. And, you know, the fact is that if they continue to do that, they are going to diminish their own brand of journalism and people will know it. You know, the bias isn't just in favor of uh, U.S. industry. I think the weapons industry gets a lot of criticism in the United States because of gun violence here. But um, there's a bias in the media pro-Israel. Israel has not supplied a single solitary weapon to Ukraine, even though it has a huge arms industry. And even though it gets more aid from the United States than any other country, it has not helped. It has provided, I will correct, humanitarian aid, but no weaponry to Ukraine. That's not widely reported. I have found it, so obviously it is reported, but not widely hit upon. Why is that? Netanyahu is a friend of Putin's. Why is that something we don't read about a lot? They're, they're allies in Syria, but that's why. So we are pro-America, we are pro-Israel, and there's not a lot of information inside the United States about those issues. This FAIR report is, I'm sure, accurate. I don't question its accuracy. But I, I do think that the fact that the U.S. supplying arms, say, to uh, Israel is something that has been reported numerous times over the years, and it's sort of built into the cake. I don't, I don't know Absolutely. if you can statistically show that it has been reported as often as the use of Iranian-supplied drones, for example. But I'm, I'm not sure that the public is unaware of our participation elsewhere around the world. It's just that the tone of the coverage where we talk about the emerging Iranian-Russian alliance to squelch Ukraine, there is nowhere similar the American-Israeli alliance that, for example, in May of 2021, Israel uh, killed 245 Palestinians, including 63 children, and damaged 2,000 housing units in Gaza. That was American weapons that were used on those civilians. And I don't know that that is according to the FAIR, uh, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting Analysis. It's just that the focus of our reporting often misses that kind of thing. Well, it's so hard to report a, that our top ally is a fascist apartheid state in its current incarnation. That's a complete change in our view of Israel. How do you do that in a mainstream media? <laughs> All right, folks, keep those cards and letters coming. You can direct your comments to media at WAMC.org. Probably after that last, you will do so. <laughs> and we're out of time. That's Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith. We express our gratitude to our producer, David Gassina, but especially to you folks for joining us this week once again on The Media Project. But finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspapermen are such interesting people. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Times Union and Substack columnist. Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of The Daily Freeman. And Rosemary Mayo is an investigative journalist and adjunct professor at RPI. Listen to The Media Project online anytime at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. 
Thanks for listening. Have worries for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Tingling-a-ling, circulation, tingling-a-ling, advertising. Get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs>